We're going to be looking in Romans chapter 7. And, you know, honestly, I would have, well, I was going to, I'm trying to hit every chapter in Romans, but we, Paul kind of repeats himself, um, not kind of, he does, um, but he's, he's really trying to drive points home. And, and one of the things he's been talking about a lot, and uh, just kind of a quick reminder of why we're going through Romans, other than it's in the Bible and you should go through um, things that are in the Bible. Um, if you read Romans chapter one, um, I, I believe that it is a, a, a very accurate description of what's happening in our culture and in our society. Um, it's, it's, it's happened before. Um, it was going on in Rome whenever Paul was, was writing this. Um, so it, it, it's, it's not something that we should be that surprised that it's happening. However, it is happening at a higher level now um, than, it, than it has in the past, and it's impacting society around us. And so if, if it starts off kind of explaining and you know, what's going on in, in the world today, well, maybe we need to go ahead and look at the rest of the book um, so that we kind of understand, well, how do we engage? How do we handle that? And so then Paul gets into, he talks a lot um, about the law and how, how what Christ has done has removed the, the boundaries of the law that we've been set free, but the law is still important. And remember, he's, he has a, uh, an interesting audience. It's, a, it's an audience of Gentiles, so that had no connection with God before. In fact, we're, we're probably very pagan and worshiping uh, pagan gods. Uh, you have Gentiles who are coming to, to the Lord. You also have Jews who, I guess we, today we would call them Messianic Jews, right? So they are, they are Jewish. Um, they still read the Torah. That whenever you talk about the scripture, it's not this that they're talking about, right? Well, it's part of that. It's, it's the, the first part of it. That's what the, was their scripture. Um, and so they, they considered themselves Jews. They were not trying to replace the Jewish people. They were Jews, and they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Right? And so you have a lot of uh, Paul going in there, um, and uh, remember he talked a lot um, about now the Jews aren't aren't better than you because they had the law before you. You know that you're equal in this, but but that doesn't mean that they're not important, right? So you kind of he's trying not to you know you, to to offend anyone in a in a sense. You kind of get the feeling he's probably have some questions that. Some of the people are saying, you know, you really seem to be elevating the Gentiles over the Jews. And it's like, no, I'm not doing that. And then vice versa, right? So he just goes back and forth. And, and one of the things that he talks a lot about is he, he talks about the law. And he is talking about the law that was laid out in the Torah, uh, Deuteronomy, uh, Leviticus, all of those um, um, areas where God showed the people how they were to live. Right. And, and so he gets to, to chapter seven and it actually has one of the more interesting <laughs> riffs that, uh, that Paul goes on. Um, but, but it really talks about this relationship between the, the law and freedom and being free from the law and, uh, and, and what and how sin impacts that. So we're going to kind of unpack this and read it in, in different sections. Um, and, and again, this, this can be kind of confusing 
So, so we're, we don't want to overcomplicate it. Um, again, some of this is just Paul's writing style that makes it more confusing than it, than it is. Um, he's also, uh, you know, this is the way that philosophers and things like that kind of uh, discuss things back and forth. You know, Aristotle, Plato, this is kind of, uh, you know, in that kind of style, if you will. And, uh, and so it's, it's pretty interesting. So Paul starts off in chapter, chapter 7, says, Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if uh, she has sexual relations with, with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who raised you from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work uh, in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. All right, so let's start, start there. So he gives an example, right? And just like all examples, there's, there's limits to, to examples, right? And sometimes they, it can be, be a little confusing. I, I do just want one thing. This is a kind of a... People struggle with this passage when he's talking about marriage. Um, and again, he is using this as an example for something else, right? Like his point here is not talking about marriage. Now, in the, the law, that was, uh, that, that was true. If, if you, you left your husband or your husband left you, um, basically, you know, you weren't supposed to, to be with anyone else. Of course, he connects it. It's pretty obvious what he says is true today. If you sleep with someone else while you're married, you are an adulteress or an adulterer, right? Um, so some people really struggle with this. To, like if, they, if you get divorced, well, is it sinful if you're with someone else? That, that's really not what this is addressing um, because there are other places where the Bible talks about that you can get divorced. So very limited, very specific. Um, but so the point of, of this passage is missed if we get caught up in that. Right? What this is saying is you used to be uh, married to the law, right? And but now you that that part of you, that sinfulness that needed the law to show you how to live, right? you die to that whenever you accept the grace and forgiveness from Jesus Christ. So now you are with someone new because the, the old is completely gone. Okay? And, and so he tries to explain this in, in numerous ways. And, and so the, the first thing that he does is he kind of uses the, this example as the old way of doing things the old way of having a relationship with God, that is gone. We're looking at a totally new way of having a relationship with God. And that's, that, that's a really good thing. And it's, but it, it can be, you know, we, we're going to struggle with it. Paul's going to struggle with it. 
Um, and in fact, here in just a minute, he's going to uh, very quickly let us know, because as humans, whenever you, you hear this example, and basically Paul is saying that old way of just following the law, that's dead and gone. So we say, well, so the law isn't important anymore? We can, it's just a free-for-all, right? We can just do whatever we want. And of course, the answer is no, right? But, but there are limits to the law, right? God wants more than you just following a list of rules. Your relationship with God is designed to be more than that. That is important. We should live our life the way that God has called us to live our life. But, but he wants more than that. He desires more than that. We were created for more than that. Because I, I promise you, if your relationship with God is only based on you following a certain creed or a certain uh, list of rules, that is not going to be a fulfilling relationship with God. Not at all. He wants a lot more for you. And it includes both, here's how to live, but now understand you're living a spiritual life. You are putting aside, you are moving beyond where you were to something better. Okay. So, so as, we, as we talk about that, kind of keep that in mind. That's what we're, we're uh, dealing with. And, and we see this all the time, even in your own life. There's probably times where you're really just focused, I just want to follow the rules. I'm just trying to follow the rules. Right? And, and then there's those times like, you know, I'm sick of all the rules. I don't want to think of the rules anymore. Right? And you may swing too far the other direction. God is a balanced God, right? right? He's an orderly God. Right? The reason that we follow the law is because we have been set free through him. So we follow the law because of him, not the other way around. We don't start just following the law and, and not have a real relationship with him. And so, so he's going to continue. And you see kind of there at the end of what we read, he says, but now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in a new way, right? So, so this is a new way. It doesn't mean that the old is invalid, but it is a new way um, that we serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Uh, again, so it's not just about following a list of rules. It's, it's much bigger than that. So then Paul continues in starting in verse seven, says, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Right? So, Cause he knows where we're going to go. All right. If the, we're, the law isn't valid anymore, you know, I guess we can move on. He says, certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was, a, was alive, apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment 
that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded, afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Okay. this is it is again we we're we overcomplicated a little bit paul is it's really a fairly simple idea but but the way that paul writes it it is it is very difficult but again think of it he's he's engaging with philosophers he's he's trying to hit a wide audience if you will um one thing that is is interesting kind of the example that he is using is the law actually reveals sinfulness right if there was no law it, then everything would be fine right so in a sense the law makes things more difficult right it it would be easier if there were absolutely no rules i say it would be easier it would also be chaos and people it would be miserable, right? I mean, one of the best things that you can do for your kids is to put parameters. Kids need that. It actually doesn't help them to have no parameters whatsoever, right? Now, you can also have way too many parameters. And that, this, that's kind of the idea that Paul is, is getting at here. But it, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. And he uses an example of coveting said, we wouldn't know that it was wrong to covet if the Bible didn't say, do not covet. Right? However, if you think about it, and I, I, I find it fascinating that he chooses coveting of all the things, you know, examples that he could use, he uses coveting. And the reason he uses that is that's kind of at the root of all other sinfulness. Right? And, and uh, so say this wasn't a law, and you could just covet. You know what will make you more miserable in your life than anything else? Is constantly coveting what other people have that you don't. I, I think that's really at the heart of a lot of our issues in our society today. The anxiety, the depression, all of that stuff. Because we're sitting there seeing what other people have that we don't. And we, it's very easy to cross that line into coveting. And so what does coveting do? It makes you miserable. So if there were no law, you wouldn't see any problem with coveting. And guess what? You would be miserable. So God doesn't want you to be miserable. So he said, how about avoid this that makes you miserable? And then we get upset and say, why would God make those rules? Why is he so... Right? We just mess it all up. But there's a reason that he does that. There's a reason that he said, do not covet, because it's not good. It's not righteous. It's not healthy for you. Right? And so it, that, that's kind of what Paul is, is getting at here. And there was a, I was reading, I think it was a theologian, his name's N.T. Wright, but he, he had a, a pretty good example uh, of this, modern kind of example. Um, 
imagine that you're you're realizing you need an updated burglary system. You know, you need someone to come in and you know put it put the sensors on the windows and the doors, put up the cameras, uh, all of those things, right? Because you you know you need to be protected because there's dangerous things out there. So the day comes for the guy to come and to install the uh, the system, but you're extremely sick and laid up and you're just in bed. So you ask your neighbor who knows all of your rooms and knows your windows and knows all that stuff. And he, he's just going to come and point to the guy and say, okay, we want the things here, 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 and here, here. Right. Okay. Everything's good. Except now that neighbor knows the system and that neighbor could actually now, because he knows the system, he knows how he can break in. He knows how he can avoid that and cause problems. Sin is like the untrustworthy neighbor. The law is like the burglary system. There's, there's, the law is just the law. It will do what it's supposed to do. If you follow it, if you turn it on, it's going to alert you whenever something bad is happening. However, sin is like the untrusting neighbor. It knows how to get around the law and how to tempt and how to try to get you to break the law. And, and I, I think that's a, a pretty good way of, of looking at it, that that's our sinfulness, okay, the law is there, and now, okay, now we, we, we know the shortcuts, all right? Yeah, it says do not covet, but, you know, does that really mean that, uh, that I don't, you know, uh, become envious of all my neighbor's stuff? Does that really mean that I, I don't upgrade to the next size house or add to the other vehicle or whatever it may be? But all of a sudden now that sinfulness is about rationalizing and poking holes in the burglary system and poking holes in the law, right? And so now that's, that's the place that we live in now, right? So we live in this place where we have the law, and if you have accepted Christ, you, you recognize how important that law is. You've had someone come install a new system, right? But sin knows the holes. It knows the weak points in you because you're still human. You're still flesh. You may have a new spirit, but you're still susceptible to that. And it's going to be trying to poke holes in that system. So we're constantly, you know, dealing with that. So, so this is, again, this is what Paul is trying to do. He's saying the law is important, but it wasn't enough. We needed more, right? We have more with what Christ has done, but you know what? It's still going to be hard because you're all sinful. Be aware. And so he continues on. This, if I can say this without getting tongue-tied, it will be an accomplishment. (laughs) Verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. 
As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. Okay. Yes, thank you, thank you. (laughs) It's extra hard whenever, uh, you know, your eyes are now 46 years old and the the do's and the don'ts kind of blur all together. It's like, it's kind of important. Uh, (laughs) But so so here's Paul's kind of, this is his favorite, uh, you know, kind of famous riff. He just kind of goes on, you know, I do, I, I know that God loves me. I've accepted that. I am passionately desiring to serve him. Paul's sitting here. I've gone to prison for him, all this stuff. And I still do things I know I shouldn't do. And even though I don't want to do them, sometimes I do them. And, and it appears that he, he kind of says, but that's the sinfulness in me, right? Some will try to, to say, well, this is just an excuse that Paul is making. No, he's actually keeping within the, the theme, right? That we are new spiritually, but the old is still there, right? And so we still have to deal with it. And we are not, now, now that we have accepted the new spiritual life and accepted forgiveness, okay, we, the, the sinfulness that we commit God will forgive it, right? but we shouldn't want to do it. But yet we do want to do it, and we keep doing it. And then we get upset that we keep doing it, and we try not to do it. <laughs> and it's, it's just this, this kind of circular thing. So I, I, I love this because this is Paul just being human. He's, he's telling you up front, right? it's not going to be easy. You can experience a changed life in Christ, And guess what? Sin is still going to be attacking you. We we can never get to that place where we think, okay, I'm finally a good enough Christian. I'm not going to have to deal with, you know, the the temptations of the world. No, that's, that's not it. We are always going to have to deal with that because of our humanness. Now, we, people spend a lot of time, you know, talking about that because of kind of the nature of what Paul is writing. But really, the most important part is what he, he writes after. So in verse 21, so I find this new law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Right? Now, it's, it's like... Paul kind of finally realized, man, I've got to wrap this up, right? And and this is a very, very succinct and very powerful scripture. And one, 
I want to emphasize because I think this is one of the the areas that our society really messes up on. You know, because it, it, what does it say? It says, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. What, what is that saying? This Again, this is Paul. This is someone who follows the law, right? Who, who he is doing what he is supposed to be doing. But he recognizes that potential for evil is always there. And so I have to make a choice with every decision what I'm going to be influenced by. And the next thing he says, says, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but there is another law at work, waging war against the law of my mind. Right? That's, that's a powerful example that there is a war going on within each of us, within all of us. And one of the things that many churches, and, and I have made the mistake in, in the past of, of trying to explain, because you know, we, we don't want people to feel bad about themselves. Right? We, want, we want people to, to have good self-esteem and all that, which is, is very good. We should desire that for people. However, one of the things that we've done is we, in order to help people with that, I think we've started coming from the perspective that most people are inherently good. That if you just allow people to be, they're going to choose to do good things and not evil things. That is not true. (laughs) Now, everyone's a little bit different, and some may be a little more prone to to evil things than others or different types of evil things than, than others. Some may be prone to doing evil that only really impacts them. Some may be prone to doing evil that impacts society. But we have to recognize that all of us, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, that you have the capacity for both good and evil. And we have to choose because they're waging war against each other. So, so it's a constant battle. So the, in a war, you try different tactics. Right? So if, if you start doing pretty well, then there's going to be different tactics that come and try to tempt you. It's a lifelong battle. Sorry, it is. It doesn't get easy. And you know, one of the reasons that's vital for us to understand this now is we used to live in a society that if we didn't do a good job of teaching our kids right and wrong, there were elements in society that would kind of help with that. It wasn't perfect. Like if you, don't, if you, if you didn't do a good job, it's still going to be a problem. But there were elements that they would get a glimpse of what is good and what is bad within their schools or within, you know, watching, you know, Saturday morning, uh, the after school special, right? right? None of those are substitutes for you instilling biblical values in your children, but they were usually, eh, yeah, said, here's right and wrong. We now live in a society that is actively promoting things that are evil as good. 
actively doing it. It's a war, right? And so now we have to be intentional. You have to be intentional with your children and with your grandchildren. And that's how, that's ultimately how this battle plays out. Everybody says, well, what do we do? How do we fix this? God has to fix this, right? But what we can do is we focus on on who God has placed in our care. And, And that is vital for us to do. That is how we engage in this war, if you will. And at the same time, we try to address society because it, it's really sad what is happening now. Right? It, it would be so much better if you knew that you could send your children to school and they would learn just the basic right and wrong. Right? They don't have to be taught theology. You certainly don't want to have them just read Romans chapter 7 whenever they're in fourth grade. They'll be like, I don't even know what those words mean. But but we've we've moved. We are in a different place in our society. And and our society is, is trying to tempt us as well and and tempt us to move away from the importance of the law. And we need to make sure that we stand up for what is right, that we live the way that God has called us to live. We know that we have been set free from the bondages of sin. So we need to be living a life based on the law that God has given us because that is what is best for us. But understand, we are in a battle. And you have to be on guard with you that's where it starts. Right? Be testing every thought, every decision, right? and then be responsible for your family and for those that God puts in your path right? to teach and to remind, hey, we are in a battle right now, and it's a battle between good and evil, and we need to stand up for what is good and for, what, for the righteousness that God calls us to live. All right, we're going to have just a moment of prayer, and we're, we're going to do this in different ways. And I, I know that prayer is different for everyone, right? And people pray in different ways, and there's really no right way to do it. Um, sometimes we make the mistake of thinking, well, when I pray, there should be an, a, an emotional feeling that comes with that. Sometimes there is. Sometimes it's really awkward. And you're like, this is the longest five minutes of my life. And then you realize it's been 30 seconds. Like that, that is, that's normal, our, our normal humanness. But prayer is a choice that we make. It's a decision that we make and that we engage in. Um, and the more we do it, the more comfortable you will become with it, right? And, and sometimes it's just trying to clear your mind and allow God to speak to you. And guess what's going to happen is you're going to randomly think about something you did when you were in fifth grade. It's weird how, whenever, because that just, that, that, that's normal. So as we, as we do this, just 
just give it a chance. Give some time, right? And just think about God. I'm gonna today we're going to to talk about those things that how sin is coming after you. And maybe a lot of times we don't sit and think about that as much. So we're going to do that today. That's kind of going to be the the focus today. Um, But I I know because I'm one, I'm not a, I'm not someone who goes into a prayer closet, right? And, and, and prays for hours and uh, at a, at a time, there's different ways. It's different for everyone, but it is powerful. And it's something that all of us need to do. And probably all of us could probably do more than, than, uh, than we are. Um, but so we're going to kind of incorporate this uh, time. And I mean, it'll just uh, each week and it'll be in different ways. Um, but let's just enter into a time of prayer. And that's just however you're comfortable. You don't even have to close your eyes if you don't want to. But let's in, uh, enter into a time of prayer.